as we celebrate this first Sunday of Advent, we begin, we begin a new liturgical year, and we begin the season of preparation for the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem. And I have to say, when I was looking at the readings for the, the week, I, I found them a bit jarring. They were not uh, what I expected, even though I've been a priest for eight years. I keep forgetting what happens uh, every year. So every year is a surprise. And I, I was surprised by the readings, especially the gospel, because it sounded like it should have been the reading for last week, the solemnity of Christ the King, because it speaks of what, you know, earth-shattering events, judgment, the coming of Jesus in glory with his angels, you know, sort of the big end-of-the-universe sort of stuff. And here we are, though, preparing for Advent. But then it, it reminded me of the fact that actually this has, this has been a theme of Advent for centuries in, in the church's celebration of Christmas, that there is this strong kind of end-of-the-world vibe that she, she has in the liturgy. You know, you might be familiar with the, the hymn, the Dies Irae, which used to be sung at funeral masses before the Second Vatican Council and uh, now the, in the extraordinary form. And... Um, the Dies Irae is named after its first words, the day of wrath. And it seems appropriate to a funeral. You know, someone's died, you know, talks about judgment, asking for mercy, you know, and then goes into the, the celebration of the Eucharist, and then you have these other hymns, you know, talking about leading the soul to paradise. So it sort of fits in with that whole theme of a funeral mass. But why Advent? Why Advent? This was, Dies Irae was actually an Advent hymn before it was a funeral hymn. And it's at least 700 years old, the historians differ. It could actually go back to Gregory the Great in the sixth, 7th century, so it might be 1,400 years old. But it's, uh, it's kind of stark. I'll, I'll just read you some of, the, some of the lyrics here. I won't do the whole thing. It's kind of long. Uh, but I'll give you a good chunk. Day of wrath, O day of mourning, see fulfilled the prophet's warning, heaven and earth in ashes burning. Oh, what fear man's bosom rendeth, when from heaven the judge descendeth, on whose sentence all dependeth. Wondrous sound the trumpet flingeth, through its sepulchres it ringeth, all before the throne it bringeth. Death is struck and nature quaking, all creation is awaking, to its judge an answer making. Lo, the book exactly worded, wherein all hath been recorded, Thence shall judgment be awarded. When the judge his seat attaineth, and each hidden deed arraigneth, nothing unavenged remaineth. What shall I, frail man, be pleading? Who for me be interceding? When the just are mercy needing. King of majesty tremendous, who dost free salvation send us, font of pity then befriend us. Not exactly Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Kind of a different vibe. But then the, the question is, why? why? Why has the church, you know, for almost a millennium or more, thought that the end of the world is an appropriate theme for Christmas? And I think it's because we, you know, the, the scene, the physical scene of Bethlehem is so humble in a sense, and I think so familiar in many ways 
it's easy to forget what's happening. You know, we got Mary and Joseph, you know, the newly wedded couple, and, the, you know, they got their little baby and this very being born in a humble stable, and like the cute little animals are around, and you got the shepherd people and these kings, kind of cool figures. And, you know, there, there's a lot that is sort of beautiful and quaint, but also very, very humble about that scene. But what makes that, that scene something that, you know, we, we celebrate the world over is who is born and what this first birth is leading to, which is the second birth of Jesus, in a sense, his second coming in glory. So when you lose sight of, you know, who Jesus is and you lose sight of where life is leading, the second coming, you lose the meaning of Christmas, which is sort of in between. And that's why I think we, we have the, the readings and especially the gospel that we do today to kind of frame Christmas, to remind us of the, the majesty of God who humbles himself to be a baby. That that cute little baby, very defenseless, is in fact the word of God, the second person of the blessed trinity, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the Son of God. And all that in human flesh. And when, when you lose sight of who Jesus is and when you lose sight of his majestic second coming and glory, I think what Christmas can devolve into is kind of what we have in 21st century America, a very sort of sentimental, cutesy little scene, you know, with lots of nice things and hot chocolate and talking snowmen and glowing reindeer and, you know, all the rest of it. And, and it's, it, it, it's, it's cute, it's sentimental. There's a lot of feeling, but not a lot of meaning. It's kind of like our society. Lots of feeling, no meaning. That could be our motto. And, 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 and the church's liturgy and the, the word of God is trying to draw us back to what's really important. And I think, you know, over the years, I think as I've come to appreciate Christmas more, I've, I think I've also, I, I think I've honestly just grown in hatred of so much of what passes for Christmas these days, especially Christmas music. I think number one on my, my hit list is White Christmas, which also happens to be the most popular Christmas song ever. And you listen to the lyrics, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten and the children listen for, to hear sleigh bells in the snow. You know, lots of feeling, but where's the meaning? And the thing is, that, uh, the danger of white Christmas and, you know, all that other stuff that, you know, the sort of Christmas imagery is that it leaves us in a place where we, we can't, not just that we can't really appreciate the meaning of Christmas, but that Christmas can be wrecked by the reality of life. What do I mean? Three or four years ago, I was, I was already here serving uh, at Hope College, and Christmas, I think, was on a Tuesday, maybe a Monday, and seven or eight days before Christmas on the Monday, I got a call in the afternoon from one of my former students. Before I came to Hope, I was a high school teacher. I got a call from one of my former students 
who said, you know, Father, I, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, do you remember so-and-so, and you named a student? I said, yeah, and he said, I just want to let you know that um, he committed suicide this weekend, and I thought you'd want to know. And, you know, I was tremendously sad to hear the noise. I remember the kid well. Four hours later, I got a call from my mother telling me that my cousin had died. She had gone to bed the night before and just hadn't woken up. And she'd probably be just a couple of years older than I am. And we, we still don't know exactly why, uh, why she passed. Um, you know, and so, you know, I got this two huge pieces of bad news in, in four hours. You know, and, and I think if at that point in my life Christmas had been about, you know, roasting chestnuts on an open fire, you know, Jack Frost nipping at my nose, I think, you know, it would have wrecked Christmas. Christmas would have been canceled that year. Ruined. And in one sense, it, I think I noticed in myself this sort of conflict. Like part of me thinks, oh yeah, Christmas is, is ruined, you know, because it's, it, you know, it's a really sad time now. This is going to be a sad week. But then I thought, no, actually, thank God it's Christmas. Thank God it's Christmas. Then in the midst of this bleak season and this darkness, in the darkness of life, which is just marked by sin and suffering and death, that we have Christmas. And Jesus is coming. It's going to be all right. And I think it's not that these two deaths sort of ruined Christmas, but that they actually helped me appreciate the real meaning of Christmas, that this is what it's all about, that Jesus comes into the darkness of the world because he knows it's dark. Because he knows that there is sin, and he knows that there is suffering, and he knows that there is death, and he comes to take it away. That's why he comes. If Christmas is just, you know, children listening to hear sleigh bells in the snow, well, you know, then Christmas has been canceled on account of the funeral. Um, and that's why I hate that song, because it just it diverts our attention from the real beauty of this season and of this time. And I think as my hatred for white Christmas has grown, I think my love of, of real, real Christmas music has grown. You know, and a real appreciation. And hearing almost for the first time, I think that year, what, what Christmas music, what good Christmas music is really singing about. And so I just want to leave you as we begin this Advent season. And, you know, I challenge you in your, in your own prayer to take more time. Whatever your prayer life is like, just give Jesus a little more time this Advent to welcome him, to prepare your hearts, you know, to give him more time on your calendar so that you can give him more space in your hearts. And just to prepare for his coming, what that means. So I want to leave you with just one verse of one of my favorite hymns of all time. Actually, I sang this verse at my cousin's funeral three days before Christmas. I think it just kind of sums up everything. I invite you to close your eyes for this one. Mild he laid his glory by, born that man no more may die, 
Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King.